live. We're recording. Welcome to Philosophers and Mad Men. Our guest this week is Melanie Sweeney from the land down under, and she is a talented dog lady down there, doing a lot of great things with rescues and fosters, but also dog training is something that she's very interested in. So we wanted to have somebody on that can kind of give us a different perspective about how dog training is looked at and done from a, a totally different world, essentially, from what I understand. I don't know. I've never been to Australia. But from, from all the stereotypes, everything will kill you, and uh, people are real nice, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, point, point in case, uh, it's summer down here now. My dogs all get walked at the beginning of the day. I don't leave it beyond a certain part of the day because otherwise we will meet some of the things that will kill us. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're so I go walking in the bush before the snakes get up. So that's probably for the best. In yeah. <laughs> in Buffalo right now, uh, I think it's a balmy forty-seven or something like that. So snakes are all not doing anything. <laughs> so, okay, I can't do an instant like I don't know what forty-seven Fahrenheit is in Celsius. Oh yeah. So I'll just. Um, what that? Yeah, I, I like, don't know either. Uh, hold on. I'm My thinking. phone will tell me if 10? I if I yeah it's something like. Uh, Ten. I'm just taking a good guess. Oh, ten. Perfect. That's that's uh, that's late autumn for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's unseasonably warm at this at this point mm. in time. Normally, we have a little bit of snow and uh, a little bit of frigid air, but uh, we're kind of missing out on that this year, which is really quite all right yeah. for most people. <laughs> Sounds okay to me. So Dave was wrong. It's nine. Oh. <laughs> I mean, come on, that was a really good guess. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Uh, solid conversion. Yeah, public school has failed me miserably in converting from Fahrenheit to Celsius. <laughs> I have no idea how to convert, but I just took a guess. Hey, there we go. So, so approximation. Yeah, well, you know, whatever, whatever tickles your fancy, I guess. So, what is um, you? You know. I know you've just recently, you know, kind of dived into the professional dog training realm. And what is it that you like to be doing with dogs? Do you have something that is kind of your passion when it comes to training dogs? I know you're big into fosters and rescue area. I know that's something that you've spent a ton of time with. So why don't you just kind of give us an idea of, you know, where you tend to spend a lot of your time as far as dog training is concerned. Okay. So my... Professional dog training business is called Barking Dogs, spelled with a C-H, not with an R-K. And my little byline, even though I haven't got a website going yet, but my little byline for the business is helping dogs and people live well together. So that's my aim. It's Perfect. to help dogs live, Yeah. So helping people and dogs live well together, dogs and people live well together. And I guess the foundation of it is probably one of my deepest joys and satisfactions in life is helping any creature become more at ease in the world and so when you help dogs and their people understand one another better uh, find mutual understanding respect and genuine depth of appreciation for one another everybody lives more at ease in the world and I I dig that a lot (laughs) you know I I get, like, the things that make, like, the insides of me kind of go, ah, yes, or put a big smile on my face is when I see a creature, and most often it's dogs that I'm working with, although I have a lot of background in horses as well, when you see them demonstrate that you have helped them to navigate the world with less stress, 
um, more comfort, more joy, those sort of things, that's when I go, yeah, I love that. And helping people look at their dogs with new eyes and 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 understand their dog is not trying to piss them off. <laughs> their dog is not aiming to, you know, he's not motivated negatively towards them. The dog is just being themselves in the world. And if we help the dog be more at ease in the world, everybody's going to be happier. Yeah. So that's kind of the foundation of kind of where I come from. That's awesome. Yeah. Solid foundation. So. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I think one of the things that I'm, you know, kind of gathering about you is while you're, you're just kind of getting into the professional aspect, it's always been something that's been, you know, a big passion of yours working with animals and kind of helping ameliorate different situations that people are finding really frustrating. Now, in Australia, there's a lot of legislation dictating as a dog trainer what you can and cannot utilize as a tool. Yeah. Now, can you kind of give some insight as to what that is? And I know you and I have talked about this a little bit before. So from what I understand, it does have to uh, be considered on a provincial basis, right? So different kind of states have different laws and things like that. And um, so I guess two things. Where are you (laughs) currently located? And what are kind of the the laws and things like that that change from state to state but applicable to where you're at? Sure. So I live in New South Wales, just south of Sydney. And so the legislation states that I cannot use an e-collar in training, uh, we ha- in, under the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, uh, e-collars, electronic devices are not allowed. Um, boundary electronic collars, you know, like fencing boundary electronic collars that the dogs wear to contain them on a property, they are allowed under particular circumstances. Hmm. Um, hmm. But say a remote training collar is not allowed in New South Wales. Gotcha. Um, prong, collar, prong collars are allowed, but they're not used nearly as much as in the States. From what I can gather about the prevalence of the use of prong collars in the States, they're kind of, they're all over the place in the States and they're not nearly as um, frequently used over here. Now, in Victoria, which is the state south of New South Wales, um, you can't use prong collars. So that's banned in Victoria and, you know, you can face legal action for using that. Um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, totally up on all the legislation for all the different states um, over here, but I believe um, an electronic collar can be used in Victoria if you have a veterinarian or somebody or other. Yeah. You can use them with lim- in, under a limited, a tightly sort of limited set of circumstances. They can be used. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. So, you know, there, there are people in a dog training forum that I'm in where uh, the use of um, e-collars is okay for some, it's not for others, um, and and vice versa. So, you know, having discussions about here's a scenario, uh, what would you recommend to deal with it, you, you can't, uh, people can't necessarily say what they would do because what they would do isn't allowed for the other person who's asking the question. So, um, yeah, That's, so it is different. That presents a lot of, you know, technical you know, kind of nuances to what you guys are doing down there. So do you guys find that you rely a lot more heavily on something like a slip lead or a martingale collar or are most of the people down there doing a lot of positive reinforcement-based training? You know? uh, yeah, look, um, I guess 
what I think of as the best practice stuff that's happening in Australia is where the ideas of positive reinforcement and engagement um, are the bulk of what's going on um, and then, of course, layering in the judicious use of punishment um, <laughs> rather than, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I gather that, uh, like it is over in the States, this whole notion of how do you label what kind of training you're doing. I'm someone who loves ideas and words and nuance and complexity and the gray areas and things like that. So I even I, I find it even really hard to kind of have the words balanced trainer come out of my mouth because who knows what like whether what I might consider balanced to mean is remotely what somebody else uses that term to mean. So it's really, really difficult. So, yeah, I mean, possibly we do use more Nightingale collars than you guys um, may do over there in terms of training. I know some trainers who don't like Nightingale collars for particular reasons. Um, uh, yeah, so, look, I, I, I'm, I'm finding it hard to say what, pro, you know, proportion of different types of tools are maybe being used. But, yeah, we don't probably um, – yeah, it's it's certainly different from my impression of the states. Interesting. Um, the one thing I, I want to touch on uh, when you were saying the use of prong collars is not as prevalent in Australia yeah. as it is as it yeah. seems in the state, um, yeah. I'd like to point out that while the, the term usage needs to be yeah. defined there, because yeah. you know there these prong collars are sold in your pet store. Um, yeah. You have a dog pulling. You have a pet store employee saying, "Yep." Slap the prong collar on them, and it fixes it. Uh, I would probably think, I mean, I would venture to say that the proper usage of prong collars is probably pretty close right. between yeah, yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot a lot more people. Yeah, and I also wonder about um, our volunteer that came and volunteered with us from Australia mentioned to me about using e-collars with veterinarian's notice. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, do you have, have any idea what would, you know, how to get the doctor's note for the yeah. e-collar? Like, yes. what, what can you do? Yeah. Like, No, so see, that's in Victoria. So that's not the state I live in. So mm. while, while that's what I've heard, I actually am not aware of the finer details of what you would, yeah, how do you get that signed off on? Like, what, what are the requirements? What's going to get you that note? I don't actually know that, but it's certainly... It's interesting to imagine the conversation that you would ha be having with a veterinarian about that, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I'm afraid I can't really offer a great amount of enlightenment as to what the criteria would be <laughs> to convince them. So That's fair. Yeah. Let's speculate. Can I give you an, I'll, I'll give you an example, though, um, of when the what I consider to be the fact that in New South Wales I couldn't ha legally do that um, was potentially to the detriment of one of my foster dogs. Um, I had a big Dane cross-type foster dog who came to me, 43-kilo dog, when she was um, at her ideal weight. Um, so really Quick, powerful. what's the conversion? Quick, convert it. <laughs> <laughs> 89 pounds. 90 pounds, 90 pounds. Looking it up. Did you? Yeah, okay. We're Looking both kind of doing a quick estimation. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So she's a big, powerful dog. And she, when she first came to me, she didn't really seem to um, 
understand much value in connecting with a human being. Um, I actually, <laughs> what's it, what, I can see you, Ooh, Dave. 94.79 pounds. You were clo- closest without going over, so you win. Yeah, okay. So on I'll the, take that. That's on the mine. price is right. You are the winner. Come on. Uh, yes, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I got this um, I got this foster dog in. I actually saw her being surrendered to my local pound. I was there volunteering at the time that she was surrendered. And she was being surrendered um, by a guy who had her on a long, thick chain. Um, so, uh, and I had a limited amount of background on where she'd come from and what her background was like, but she came here and she was very prey driven, um, with very little value for a relationship with a human being. Um, and over the first couple of weeks, um, probably my greatest satisfaction in that period of time was having her learn that, Hey, actually we could have something good going on between us here. It could be worth like I, I've got good stuff to offer you and, uh, you know, and, and developing value for her in, in relating to me. So that was a really good progression to start seeing. But nevertheless, she's still really prey-driven. Um, and I have three sheep here as well and I'm in a rural area where neighbours have livestock and things like that. So I had to put a lot of time and effort into dealing with um, her understanding that certain things are not allowed in terms of my sheep are not for your entertainment, they're not, you know, this is not dinner on four feet for you, (laughs) things like that. Now, um, some of the legislation in New South Wales states that if a dog gets onto your property and is harassing your livestock, they can be shot on sight um, if they are threatening the life of your livestock. So, you know, she's a big, powerful, prey-driven dog, there's, you know, you've got those concerns both for the, you know, you don't want her to have a go, but then there's also concerns for her. But I'm not allowed to use an e-collar to stock-proof her, you know, so that's... So your neighbor can shoot her, but you can't use an e-collar to train her. Exactly. exactly. You wacky and Australians are sounding more and more like Americans every minute. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. not, not in a good way. <laughs> so... So, like, for me, like, I, I find that a really weird cognitive dissonance, like in the legislation. Yeah, this dog could be shot if she, you know, if she happened one day to escape containment, she can be shot for chasing an animal, but I can't, I can't protect her from that by temporarily using, uh, you know, a, Punishment. an equaler yeah. to teach her how to, how to, you know, essentially keep her life. And, um, yeah, so that's when you just kind of go, there's a level of um, craziness in, in the legislation there. So, yeah, so that's what I live with. Um, she, that dog actually now lives in the United States. Oh. I adopted her to a, a woman who'd come over from the States to study vet science here in Sydney, and she adopted another big dog, and um, and uh, and then my foster dog, Leilani, and took them back to the States only a couple of months after she adopted her and stuff. So I get uh, kind of updates on where she is now and what she's doing. So, yeah. That's super so badass. That's real cool. Yeah. And now yeah. maybe she's being trained on a knee collar. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually got like an update from her adopter saying, oh, we went on this property where there were deer. And it was kind of like, huh? And, <laughs> um, yeah. So, hmm, yeah. Perfect. It's a shame. It's a shame that she wasn't stockproofed because sure. the story goes so well from there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, deer are uh, everywhere around here. 
Yeah. We've had a, a decrease in, in hunters over time. So there's been a ton of different deer. There's actually been some uh, municipalities that have hired professional sharpshooters to come in and shoot the deer. There's been places, I believe, in New England that have actually been talking about distributing uh, contraceptive pills uh, through food to deer populations. So it's a, you know, they're they're nuts around here. One of the things I kind of wanted to touch around... um, that you kind of brought up was you were talking about calling yourself a balanced trainer and and kind of the the difference between what we sometimes internalize ourselves as being a balanced trainer and what that can sometimes mean and that's something that I think is an important conversation to have but I also think it's one that's that's not necessarily talked about a whole lot and in my perspective there are certain aspects of the balanced air quote, you know, balanced training community that utilize it to simply mean that they are compulsion based tra- trainers yep. that sometimes toss a piece of food at the dog. Mm-hmm. And now I, I'm not, you know, painting everybody with the same broad strokes, but I, I do see that as something that, in my opinion, should be kind of talked about a little bit more as far as, you know, bringing balance and what is balance and. Those conversations are the, the ones that I think are, are pretty cool, and I always like kind of talking to different trainers about that and seeing where their head's at and just kind of seeing what they think about that concept. But So it was cool for me to hear that that's something that you're, you're already kind of talking with yourself about at least and, and thinking about, yeah. just kind of cognitively aware. I think that's a, a pretty interesting topic overall. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, me personally, I think that Balance, I don't know if that's something you can put a label on as far as a training system. Is it a balanced training system? Is there any one system that's going to be balanced for every animal that you encounter? I would I would be likely to say no to an absolute like that. And I think yeah. what you have to kind of strive for with balance is finding what is going to bring the dog to balance. And for some dogs, that's way more positive reinforcement than it is anything else. Just tons of work, having fun, loosening the dog up, teaching them how to learn and how to have fun and how to be engaged with people and their environment. And for other dogs, you got to teach them how to pump the brakes a little bit more and teach them to stop some of these, you know, other activities they're they're getting into. So I don't know if you want to give me, you know, a little bit of your perspective on that, but that's kind of where my head's at with it. Is I think that it needs to be put in perspective, not what I do is balanced training, but in fact, what my training does is bring balance to the dog and the owner. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to define balanced training, rather than saying. Uh, defining it as um, what I do is defining it as what you're seeking um, for the dog. I think that's really good, and that leaves the flexibility. I think the the idea that anything that's involving living creatures is going to be complex, and to be to allow for flexibility, subtlety, nuance, um, variability, all of those sorts of things. To say that, um, yeah, the the proportion of time I spend um, in any given quadrant is not going to be the same for any, like for every dog that I meet, basically is what you kind of just said. And I think that's a really good way to look at it, to say I am prepared to be flexible on my percentages in order to get a, a great outcome 
for the dog. And I really like that idea. And I think too, like I'm someone who, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I really love subtlety and nuance and finesse and things like that. But I was thinking just this morning, like thinking about, oh yeah, I'm going to be on this podcast with Josh and yeah, I wonder what, you know, how, how, what we're going to talk about and things. And I was kind of thinking with some people, the same way with some dogs, you can, you, your very first conversation with them can be instant rapport. You kind of really, you sense that you, you've both got, you know, similar things going on. So you head straight into rapport. You, 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 the subtleties and nuances and all those sort of things are right there in the first conversation. With other people or with other dogs, there's stuff you've got to get past before subtlety and nuance are even going to be recognized in the conversation. And I kind of just go, you know, with some, with some people or dogs, you, like – I would prefer to be uh, whispering, not in that whole like dog whisperer sense, but you know, <laughs> just in terms of um, quiet and subtle. I would prefer to be that way. But sometimes you're not, you, that's not going to be heard unless you first cut through the noise that the other creature is bringing to the picture sort of thing so that you, the, the, you know, there's room for the, the quietness and, that, you know, that sort of thing. Does that kind of – how do you feel about that sort of idea? I think that's beautiful and I talk to clients about that sometimes in the sense that imagine if I were to see you out at a restaurant or a you know bar if I'm trying to whisper to you you may yeah. not actually even know that I'm trying to give you any information so sometimes I got to raise my voice and I have to kind of yell almost and then and it's happened to me a, a thousand times where I say hi to somebody and it's just nothing happens they don't register that I'm talking to them I raise my voice voice a bit. They turn and look at me and say, oh, hey, what's going on, man? Good to see you. And then we yeah. can have an actual conversation. I think sometimes you, you're, the way you put it I thought was nice. Sometimes you do have to cut through some of that background noise and establish to that person or you know, in the metaphor we're using and to the dog that we are trying to have a bit of a, a back and forth here. It's a give and a take, a cooperative thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um – so I did, as well as you know, I did your Lieberg course on yep. small dogmanship. So that's, that was um, <laughs> our first introduction to one another. And one of the things I really liked about you and your approach to the relationship with dogs was this idea that you will cooperate, that you can collaborate with the dog. And it's not just... It's not just us calling the shots to make dogs better to live with. It's about this sense of we're doing something together, that together we can build this relationship that we both feel good about. So that sense of cooperation, yeah, is, is something that I really liked seeing in you in that, um, in that course. So, yeah, I think, I think that's it, like being able to do what's necessary at the beginning to establish that, hey, I'm offering you a partnership here. Um, what do you reckon about that? And do how much do I need to do to motivate you so that you will start to see the value in the relationship? Because initially, like the way you show the dog or the person that there's value for them here in this relationship could be different. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, it's interesting that you mentioned cutting through the noise. So before we started recording, you mentioned you have been training for about 18 months, which is relatively specific yet not that specific in terms of length, but that's about how long I've been training. Um, yep. I, I want, I'm curious as to how you got into training, 
But yes. more importantly, I'm, I'm curious as to how you start to cut through that noise because I, I tend to find myself um, struggling sometimes to cut through that noise dealing with certain dogs. And um, yeah. certain days, you know, without giving you a huge long story, I, I tend to start a lot of our newer board and train dogs. And, yeah. you know, the, la the last thing I want to do is get them out of the kennel like, hey, what's up, man? Here's a prong collar. Let's do some work. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm trying to, like, figure out a different way without, you know, I sometimes I go for a walk if the dog's super nervous about me. And yeah. lately I've been just sort of you know, grabbing a bunch of the dog's food, sitting down, offering some food. They take some, then I get them to chase it a little bit, and then they, like, yeah. oh, hey, there's this large bearded man offering me food. Like, let's party. <laughs> Hey, it happens to me sometimes. Large bearded men just walk up and <laughs> offer me food. <laughs> Here's some food for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because when I said cut through the noise, I didn't necessarily mean you have to do something hard or harsh. You sure. just have to do something effective. Right. You know, something. And and sometimes one of the other things I was thinking about just in the last 24 hours was um, being willing to take time. You know, and I mean, it can be, I guess it's difficult in board and train scenarios where your time frame is sort of like, this is what you got to work with. I've got to start being relevant quickly with the dog. But I kind of like the idea. I, I see sometimes in my own dogs and in foster dogs and things like that, that um, sometimes just being kind of like neutral in an environment where there isn't so much noise that they can, they can just start to figure it out on their own. Like you just kind of, you're there and you're offering them something right. and just letting them figure it out on their own a little bit instead of intervening. I, like it's such a fine line, I think, between I've got to intervene here or I can just be here and give the dog time. And I like I, I think I find that, you know, occasionally I kind of go, oh, I got that wrong then. I intervened when I could have left it. <laughs> Other times it's like I left it too long. I actually could have helped them by just, you know, poking them, like, you know, poke, poke in the kind of metaphorical sense. Um, you know, like, um, so, yeah. So, yeah, the cut through the noise didn't necessarily mean um, a physical cut through or anything like that, but finding out what's going to, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think I think what you just said was really good. Like some, you don't want to just whack something on them. You want to sort of show your relevance some other way. Right. You want to? Oh, my. I just find there's a lot of different ways to interrupt some of those those kind of patterns of thought with a dog, and it's, yeah. you know, sometimes interruption can be kind of a euphemism for, you know, light correction or something like that. But in a lot of cases, you can interrupt a dog with something that isn't punishment at all but yep. just an alternative behavior that they find rewarding to, to create. I think what you guys are talking about, a bit of a relationship. So I think, you know, you guys are right on with that. That's kind of, I think what we're all striving for, you know, I, I don't think anybody gets into this business because they want to practice their, their leadership skills or they want to <laughs> practice, you know, giving corrections or anything like that. It's, it's not really what has drawn us to this, to this, career I guess you could call it I mean yeah. I, I get you know you can literally yeah. call it a career for sure but uh, I think for a lot of us that are in it it's a bit more than that it's it's something that kind of pushes us to be better in so many different aspects of our lives that have literally nothing to directly 
correlate yeah. to dog training that it, it's a very, very interesting way to spend your time, I think. Yeah. Like my, the various animals in my life have been the biggest teachers because if you're, if you're aware enough to be self-reflective, the stuff that they give you is there's so much you kind of go, wow, you know, every new dog, every new foster dog or every new client dog or every new animal I collect myself, it, there's, there's, it's just the, the possibility for self-development is massive if you're open to seeing yourself through their eyes and understanding what that means about how you are being in the world. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think um, if you're a self-aware person, animals are perfect and brilliant because they were, or they're going to be just providing you with so much opportunity to contemplate yourself and the world. <laughs> Free psychotherapy every day. What was that? Free psychotherapy every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> totally. Yeah, for sure. So no, they're they're great like that. They're like I, you know, I, I, it's really funny because you know, like that. I really, I've never ever wanted to call my animals my fur kids. Like something in me kind of just goes, "Whoa, yeah, no," <laughs> because I want to offer them the dignity that they are not. They're not replacement children. They're not replacement people. They have a dignity and something to offer me and something to offer the world that is all their very own. And while I love them deeply and I value them highly, I don't value them less than people, they're not the same and I wouldn't do them the indignity. Like I understand when people say my fur kids, what they're implying is the level of value that they have for them, that these are like my children. And I understand that that's, a, that's what they're trying to communicate. They are precious. They are very high value to me. But for me, being someone who's always interested in detail and nuance, I kind of go, yeah, that kid part? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to That's not how I call Like I call my group of animals, I say my clan. They, you know, this is my clan. Yeah, Mel and so the clan. Mel and the clan, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so we live together as a nice little interspecies clan. And one of my oh, one of the biggest joys of my life is watching the different species in my clan mm -hmm. getting along beautifully. Like when um, I think about this uh, yesterday, my horse and my galah. I've got a galah, which is a pink and grey Australian parrot, mm, and wow. I inherited her from an animal care client many years ago, and. Um, She's got a busted wing. She can't fly, so she can't live a wild life. Like I'm not, I'm really not massively into keeping birds in cages because that seems like a massive effort in suppression of yeah. the natural life of a bird. But she has no options. She's got a busted wing. The best she can do is a really inelegant crash landing off my shoulder if she happens to fall <laughs> off. So you know, for her, it's a it's a caged life or nothing sort of thing. And you know, I used to see um, my horse. Put himself, put press his cheek up against the aviary in which Wally is. Now Wally is a girl, but was called Wally by her previous owners before they realised she's a girl. And I kind of go, <laughs> oh yeah, well, well that's kind of cool. So she's kept the name Wally. Um, so my horse would put his cheek up against the aviary mesh, and Wally would groom him through, you know, through the mesh of the aviary and he would be on the outside with these like dopey, sleepy, oh, this all feels great and she's in there kind of making this sort of purring noise that galahs can kind of make and, you know, I look out the window and I look at that and, oh, something in me just goes all warm and fuzzy and sings, you know, because that's just beautiful. <laughs> no, I agree. I think that's tremendous and, you know, yeah. seeing different species like that, 
kind of link up. I think to a certain degree is kind of at least subconsciously what kind of draws people to watching humans working dogs, watching a guy who or, or a woman who can run a stock dog with precision and grace or trial a dog in protection sports. I think there is a certain amount of that that cooperative partnership that's being displayed across species that I think for me is tremendously valuable. And one of the things that I, I think about a lot is kind of how much dogs have possibly influenced human culture without us even knowing and how much of human culture is possible simply because we've had dogs. And I think I've heard some people speculate that agriculture wouldn't have been as successful had we not had dogs, or we may not have been able to beat out Neanderthal men without dogs, none of which I uh, know enough about to really say anything. But <laughs> they're interesting enough thoughts that I, uh, yeah. I like them. Bro science. Bro science, for sure, right here Bro on the podcast. <laughs> What's okay, so I'll explain. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Let's get into this. Yeah. Now, now the, the meat of the podcast starts. So, in. Are we supposed to do a special handshake or something before I can be inducted into this whole bro science thing? Uh, no, 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 no. You no, just no. have to basically make shit up. <laughs> yeah. So, to be clear, you don't I'm actually kidding. want to be in bro science. Yeah, bro science <laughs> is not a club you want to be in. Oh, cool. Excellent. Good. So, Fine. In the U.S., uh, there's a certain amount of the culture that is just better or worse referred to as bros. Uh, bros, right. Yeah. <laughs> these bros, these dudes, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking, say the word bro a lot while talking. Uh, yeah. Bro. Bro. Uh, they yeah. also tend to have an affinity for polo shirts with the collars <laughs> popped up. Uh, <laughs> We have them. We yes. Have them. I, I think they've made it to all the continents at this point. Um, but bro science is essentially uh, when you're just repeating something that you saw in a meme on the internet or you read in an article and didn't actually do any real research, bro science. It's been peer-reviewed by your other bros. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. No, it's true. <laughs> it's verified by my bros. <laughs> yeah. True. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this is a phenomenon that is not... Uh, they, that's crossed the ocean, definitely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the internet has brought bro science to the farthest reaching corners of the planet, for sure. God bless the internet and the bros and the circulation of bro science. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that actually... Oh, what a man. perfect segue. So, internet dog training. To yeah. the, the internet has had a profound effect on mm. me as a dog trainer, and I think yep. dog training as a whole. So, I, I've also taken a Learberg course. I, I took Forrest Mickey's Healer's Toolbox 1. Yep. Um, going to do 2 and 3 eventually. But yep. what are your thoughts on... The, the internet shaping dog training and specifically the the online uh, sort of dog training community. Not necessarily a message board or a forum, but like Learberg courses in specific, having access to um, professional dog trainers. So you took Josh's course and, yeah. you know, you have a, you've had access to Josh for that time. For me, yeah. it's not super special because I'm with him all the time. <laughs> And 
uh, <laughs> no, but you know what? What do you think that does for dog training in general, as a yeah. whole? Uh, you know. Yep. Well, I mean, from my perspective, I think it's great. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if there wasn't um, uh, internet access that you know the the Lebo guys have have given, and that's where I met Josh and all the rest. So I think. It, it always opens up immense possibilities. I think potentially being in Australia and not having as ready access to a bunch of the people that you guys probably do have the ability to see in person means that the opportunity to do things via the internet is great because otherwise there would the, the there would be much more of a limitation mm. in terms of who you'd be seeing. Um, you know, then then you're left with purchasing DVDs, which is also a really, you know, I, I'm one of those people that gets a lot from that sort of stuff. I'm quite happy to watch those things, think about it, or, you know, muck around with it myself, those sort of things. But then, you know, the difference when I, you know, did the course with Josh, <clears throat> the weekly the weekly ones where you, you have that dedicated amount of time to say, okay, so I've looked at the material and I've thought about it and here's my questions for you now. That's kind of the most valuable thing where you nut out is my interpretation of what I saw you saying, is it correct or do I need to clarify that or, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I kind of just find the whole thing immensely valuable, um, both because of, yeah, my location and just because, I, I mean, the internet's the new big thing, kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the future. <laughs> if, and if you guys didn't know, you heard it yeah. here first. <laughs> No, I think that's that's something that, you know, I am one of those uh, people who was born, you know, in a time of which I didn't always have access to the internet. Yeah. But for most of my kind of teenage years, for sure, the internet was available to me heavily. And it it has changed the way I think I do everything. And I think it'll continue to do so. We're still figuring out things through the internet that we didn't know the internet was going to be possible to do. And I think with the more technology that's coming out, the more people are going to be able to get trained through the internet, regardless of what specific task that's going to be for. So it's something I'm really excited about. And I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about learning something and I think at the stage we're in now, there's always going to be some inherent limitation as to what you can grasp through the internet at this yeah. point until we figure out some like real virtual reality type thing where we feel like we're in the moment and we're practicing the technique. But at this point, I think it makes available to people pieces of information that they wouldn't have been able to get. You know, like right now we're doing this conversation through Skype of which I can see you and you can see me and Dave. And I think that's realistically a hundred percent. That was the type of shit that was in star Wars when I was little, right? Like <laughs> right? <laughs> that was, that was a, a like, yeah, right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. That'll happen. And yeah. there's, if you look at the progression of the star Wars movies, like you look at the first one and the visual effects and everything they had in that one. And then you look at this one that's about to come out now and you, in the lifetime of the Star Wars movies, the, it, like it's it's an explosion of, um, yeah, absolutely. Brave New World, you know. Uh, and <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of that that I think 
at least I am really excited about coming up yeah. with some of the new stuff. Like in uh, in February, I should be ha- getting a drone. That uh, oh yes, I've seen this. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited <laughs> about it. And uh, it, it's a drone that basically follows around a small disc. Uh, that sends GPS coordinates, so I don't have to manually control it for better or worse. I don't know. I don't have the thing yet, but I'm pretty excited about it. And and I think the drone is another thing, kind of like the internet, that almost like the cell phone. You know, you ask people 20 years ago, would you like a telephone in your pocket that people can call you whenever they want? And the answer is almost always going to be hell no, <laughs> no thank you. But we had no idea what that technology was going to lead to. Yep. Text messages, yeah. check the weather. I can look at the Mars rover from my my cell phone, you know. That, so we can do all types of stuff. And I think drones are going to bring a certain aspect to that. But I think that these things are going to come together to create the types of technologies that will allow us to learn different skill sets. I don't necessarily want to say secondhand through the Internet, but in a way secondhand because I'm not – technically touching the thing you know so that's some of the stuff that i'm pretty stoked about and i think the internet's going to be a huge huge resource for us as we continue to go forward with not just dog training but learning any technical skill yeah 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 for sure i think um for me because of i'm, I'm a really relational person and i'm quite a tactile person as well nothing can ever replace being face to face with someone yeah. and and being able to receive immediate feedback and then watch them say demonstrate or something like there's never that's never going to be superseded. Um, it's just that there'll be all these other things that we can achieve as well. Um, but I don't think things like face to face workshops. I don't think there's they're they're, they're never going to be um, uh, you know derelict. They're never going to be not needed. It's just that we'll be able to accomplish a whole lot more um, in other ways as well. We won't we won't rely on workshops as being the only way. We'll have all this other scope to do stuff. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yep. Very cool. The internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have uh, you know any anything that you wanted to ask us? Any topics that you were wondering about? Yeah. Um, not so much topics, but because, you know, I just said I'm really relational sort of thing. I guess the thing, one of the things, I've had a dog in my life. Um, he's no longer with us. His name was Jock. And he was that dog in my life where I don't ever expect I'm going to get a dog like this ever again in my life. He and I, I kid you not, had perfect harmony. I knew him for 15 years. And in 15 years, I reprimanded him once. And I felt like a bitch afterwards because I realized I realized that he actually hadn't heard me. Um, it was just yeah, he was just starting to have a bit of hearing loss. So in 15 years, once, uh, and this dog was like the biggest gift I could ever have asked for in terms of a relationship with a dog. It was just perfect. I never, I, I can honestly say, I never trained him once in my life. We just. He would, if I sort of was doing something and I kind of went, like indicated to him, how about you do such and such? He was like, yeah, no worries, sure, kind of thing. He would suggest things to me. I'd go, yeah, sure, we can do that. It was it was amazing. It was perfect harmony, complete simpatico. I learned nothing about dog training <laughs> <laughs> because we just had a perfect harmony together. But So I, I didn't learn a lot about dogs as such, but he is the biggest gift of a dog I have ever had. Because the gift of a natural and easy harmony and rapport is amazing. Um, it, now, you know, every dog that's come since is like, 
I love you, but gee whiz, this is like I got to work on this relationship. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so you know, he kind of, in a way, he wrecked me um, by being the biggest gift I could have ever had. And and so that dog, it's like I don't like the dogs I currently have. I've I I love them, and I've learned so much from them. I cherish them; they're precious. But it's it's never been the same as with that other dog. And I'm interested in hearing from you guys. Have you ever had that one dog where you just go, this dog is so different to any other dog or this dog is the dog that just was the biggest gift or taught me the most or something, you know, those kind of things. Like just tell me about the best dog ever (laughs) you've known or the most precious dog or whatever. Yeah. So I personally have had a dog like that in my life and he he still is currently. His name is King. He's just a big, fat uh, headed pit bull. <laughs> He's got a head like a beach ball. He's super intense about practically everything he does. And uh, he's taught me hands down more about dog training than I could probably attribute to anybody else on the planet. Uh, he is quite literally the reason I am a dog trainer. My younger brother found him on the side of the road and I took him from my brother because at the time they were both degenerates. And uh, just a, a bad mix for for both parties involved. Um, and when I took him, a lot of the stuff that I was used to doing with my family's dogs to achieve some sense of balance in the dog was basically used by him as a perfect opportunity to show me just how inept and useless I was as a dog trainer. Uh, <laughs> All the stuff that I thought was going to be this real, like, you know, big learning experience for him, uh, you know, in some cases literally blew up in my face. So, uh, you know, he's the type of dog that that realistically changed my entire world. He changed the course of my life in a very, very real way. Uh, I got in touch with Tyler Muto because of this damn dog <laughs> was ruining everything in sight. Um <laughs> And, you know, he was he was brutal. He was the type of dog that if you were sitting on the couch eating dinner, he would come take the plate from you. Like a ceramic plate. He would crush the plate and shake it all over. He was a monster. And I got in touch with Tyler. And Tyler always jokes about the message I left him on his cell phone when I called him. Basically saying it would be really nice if this... Uh, effing dog responded to his own name. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he very much so had a, a mind of his own. And so I did some lessons with Tyler. I was one of his very first clients. And from then, I became obsessed about dog training once I recognized that it was something I could realistically push my, my time and effort into. And I am the type of person that once I want to do something, I become borderline obsessed with doing it. Uh, so, you know, I, I pestered the crap out of Tyler relentlessly to give me more information about, well, yes, yeah, I did this. Now, what do I do? What do I do after that? And now what do I do? And now what do I do until he said, just come to a group class, I think in an effort to get me to shut up. And, uh, you know, I used to show up early, I'd leave late and I just made it so that there was never a point of which there would be a real deliberation about who he would want to hire if he needed help. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's kind of what got me an apprenticeship is just hard-nosed perseverance. And yeah. King is still the dog that teaches me a lot. You know, he teaches me about other dogs and socialization. He teaches me about just myself in a variety of different ways through our interactions together and 
one of those dogs that will forever have a, a very solid spot in my heart. Yeah, that's cool. My Whippet is the dog that's taught me the most. So Jock is the dog that was kind of like the perfect, perfect gift. And my Whippet, who I call, he's, he was the first of this crew that I've currently got. He was the first one to come to me and he was an only dog for a couple of years. And I call him my first best boy of this crew. And then Cricket, who came along next, he's my second best boy. Not second best, but second <laughs> best boy. Um, and, but, yeah, but Slip is the one. Slipstream is my Whippet's name. And he is the one who I would credit with really teaching me a lot of stuff. And it's really interesting um, in seeing people who've trained a lot of dogs but haven't trained sight hounds, even just having the one sight hound to um to deal with i see people sometimes offering advice on dogs and things and i kind of go wow i'd like to see you try that with a sight hound (laughs) so he's opened my eyes to the that whole thing of um the being flexible and being willing to break what might be a rule or a principle for one dog you just can't you can't hold on to that for a different dog necessarily so yeah no, you're abs- so, you're absolutely right. Um, and yeah. Dave's got a dog very much in his life right now that I think is the first dog he's ever really had as an adult. Um, I don't know if he's had dogs as a kid, but he had to run to the bathroom real quick. But uh, I'm sure he'll he'll tell you. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he'll he'll tell you all about Roland. But Roland, I think for him, very much is that dog. Yeah. Oh, yep, yep, yep. yep. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, Roland. Uh, Roland, I heard his name. Uh, Roland is... Uh, so Roland is, I want to say, the first dog I've ever owned. When I was younger, yeah. my mom adopted a dog, a Pekingese Pomeranian named Eddie. That uh, uh, He's 10 pounds and he's like about 80 now, years old. Oh. So, uh, he's, you know, I've had him... My mom's had him... 80 pounds or 80 years? No, 80 years old for sure. He is a he is an ancient dog, but um, so Roland is a, a pity a pit bull who my girlfriend and I adopted from the local shelter, and uh, you know the, he was about ten months old, and uh, the story was he was found on the corner of a street and they brought him in the shelter and he knew sit. I was like ah oh, cool. Right? Pretty, you know, a lanky brown pity who knows the sit command. And he's trained. And he's trained, right? (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! So, at the time, time I had just quit teaching. I was an English teacher prior. And I was working for a healthcare company just processing claims. And uh, I brought this dog home. And I was like, cool, I got my own dog. We're going to go for a walk. So, we went on our first walk, which in the beginning he was just pulling. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we can fix this, blah, blah, blah. And then we saw another dog, and uh, all of a sudden his lips went up, and the teeth came out, and he was like, oh, I think I should kill that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> boy, okay, I think we have a bit of a problem here. So um, I ended up calling Canine Connection, because I hopped on the Google machine, and I was like, Buffalo Dog Training. And Canine Connection came up first, and I was desperate, um, but I definitely made the right choice. And I, I had private lessons with Tyler, and uh, we did. I did three of them, just three quick private lessons. Got him on a prong collar. He started walking fine. And the biggest thing for me during those lessons was Tyler brought out his dog, and I always thought my dog really wanted to kill other dogs because he was going crazy, really loud. 
And uh, Tyler, I remember specifically, Tyler complimented my shoes. He said, you have really, <laughs> he said, those are pretty cool shoes. I was like, oh, thanks, man. And then he goes, okay, um, I want you to unclip his leash. And I'm, I literally said to myself, Katie and Tyler, I was like, are you, are you sure? Because I'm really fucking scared. Because he's, <laughs> this dog, like, this dog's nuts. Like, he's trying to kill these dogs. Uh, so I unclip his leash, and uh, he started playing with Tyler's dog, Lobo. And I was like, wait, really? Like, that's it? So I did my group classes. I did my reactive group class. I remember showing up for my first one. I wasn't able to make it in the room with the other dogs. Uh, Roland couldn't handle it. And I was like, oh boy. So I did my group classes. I signed up for more group classes. And during this time, I, I really was like, oh man, that guy is pretty cool. He's got a beard and tattoos, so I think we'll probably get along. So. Maybe I'll talk to him here and there. That uh, was me. That was Josh. <laughs> uh, we, I actually had never, I did no training with Josh, nothing like that. Uh, he was just always around the building, and he helped me out during the group classes once in a while because there were points at which I was struggling mightily. And uh, then I remember one day, actually it was a holiday here, and I said, hey man, uh, do you do like apprenticeships like for yourself? Like I, I'd really like to be your apprentice. I'll come... You know, I'll come over after work, and we can train my dog and really help me get this dog, you know, real cool, under control, real solid dog. And he said, yeah. And then the next day, Canine Connection said that they were hiring. So um, I immediately drove down to Canine Connection. I actually texted Josh first and said, where's Tyler? <laughs> uh, he said, he's actually at the facility now. So I left the park with my, I was at the park with my girlfriend. I went home, printed out a resume, brought it down to Tyler and said, here you go. Uh, I was like, I'm interested in the job. And he said, I, I posted that 13 minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, it, it would have been here sooner if I could have gotten here sooner. <laughs> Uh, and so basically, the two of you both are like you've connected in terms of you both stalked Tyler. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. <laughs> for sure, absolutely, hundred percent, accurate. accurate, very, very accurate. And then it's a nice little threesome now. Uh you, oh, with these beards? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like three strips of Velcro. Just, you can't. Uh, and then I got into all the other things. I told Tyler that if he hired me, I would quit my job. You know, I was like, hey, I'll quit my job if it means I have to clean poop out of kennels for 40 hours a week for years. Just, you know, let me let me do this. And uh, much like Josh, I become borderline obsessive. And, of course, Josh is like, yeah, these are all these great books. Uh, you should read them. And then a week later, I was like, cool, where's more? Like, I, I read them all. Give me more. And uh, it's just been more, more, more. And now I can safely take my dog out in public. Hurrah. Yeah, right. And he is uh, he is the dog that again quite literally changed my life. You know, I yeah. became a dog trainer because of this uh, wonky-eyed pit bull. Yeah, I think that's like I know um, plenty of Australian dog trainers who kind of go, yeah, yeah. It's because of this one dog as well. Yeah. This one dog started me on the on the road. So yeah. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a ton of dog trainers in the U.S. that that's that's pretty much what happened. I mean, Tyler became a dog trainer because he was working for somebody at the time who kept uh, who had a dog, and his dog would get boarded at a facility. So Tyler ended up uh, getting in contact with a dog trainer in Rochester, where he was born and raised, just to drop the dog off for boarding. But I mean, uh, you know, there's 
countless people who get into dog training, I think, because they have to figure out a way to get their own life with their dog under control. And there's tons of stories like that. Yeah. Yep. So I've got a question, another Mm -hmm. question for you guys. Ask away. When you you are looking at um, either a, a dog trainer, a person working with dogs, what is your own internal criteria about what you think is commendable? What is it that you look for and what is it that you respect in a dog trainer that makes you go, this is someone I want to suck knowledge from or this is someone that I want to be around more? Like what, do you, what are the things that you find yourself drawn to in other dog trainers that, yeah, that you admire or that you respect? Or That's a good question. Uh, for me particularly... It's uh, so you've you've got to watch Josh's class, and you'll you'll notice when he's working any dog, be it his or another, he's having fun. You know, yeah. if you get if you ever get the chance to watch me work my dog, I have a blast. If it's yeah. teaching my dog to, you know, kiss my hand with his nose, it's fun. Watching people yeah. work their dogs and they're legitimately having a good time, it's a fun yeah. process. Even if you're teaching your dog to just step on a board, like almost you work you've done so many times, but yeah. it's still fun. It's fun to watch people have fun with their dog, be it their own or another dog. More importantly, I think working, you know, working with board and trains, I can train someone else's dog and have just as much fun training them as I can my own. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's the most important thing, you know, yeah. aside from, you know, treating the dog properly of course but uh, having fun with it yeah yeah i think i think it's good that fun is a criteria yeah i mean my criteria is not much different uh i i can certainly accept the uh the label of being hedonistic uh you know <laughs> i'm i'm a big fan of enjoying myself and having fun but what i look for is i guess I want to see something that could be called artful. Yep. I want to see something that moves smoothly and I want to see something that doesn't look like it's paint by numbers. Yep. And I want to look at a almost a performance. And and I say almost, but you look at the high-end dog sports and that's what it is. These dogs and their handlers are performing at a level that is absolutely astonishing and what I like that Dave really pointed out is I want to see somebody who's having who's having fun but more importantly I want to see a dog that's having fun and if the dog looks like you know they're being tasked with just like folding the laundry I think that that sometimes kind of says something about the overall training system and not that you know, there aren't times where the dog isn't going to find it fun per se, but what I look for from somebody who's a good trainer is somebody who can make it fun. And I want them to be having fun. I want the dog to be looking engaged and, and playful. And I want a dog that's not really afraid to make mistakes. You know, if I yeah. see dogs that are afraid to make mistakes, that, that does in, in some context kind of tell me something about about that particular training, uh, not necessarily for better or for worse, I guess, you know, there's, 
any number of different avenues you can take. But me personally, I like the visual aesthetic of a dog who's having fun. And I tend to want to learn from the people in dog training who are passionate about the process. Not just did it work, not just the end result of did this achieve desired result A, of like, hey, well, you know, he doesn't chase deer anymore or he doesn't jump on people anymore, but is the dog looking as though, you know, they're they're liking the process and that the process has been thoughtful and uh, finesse. That's that's a yeah. big part of it, you know? So I guess you know, there's a lot of things I look for from somebody that I'm, I'm stoked to learn from. Yeah. And the people I'm, I'm really, really excited about kind of roll those things together. You know, they have the technical aspects that the, you know, sometimes I look at what we're, we're kind of tasked with doing as professional dog trainers is we are technicians in the same way. If you're, if your furnace doesn't work and somebody shows up, well, what the hell do I know about a furnace? I can't tell you what's wrong with it. You friggin' figure it out, right? <laughs> like that's what, that's what I called you for. So in a lot of these cases, it's not so much that, you know, I'm always spending my time doing the fun stuff, but I need to be able to take those technical aspects of dog training and convey them to people who don't always give a damn about dog training in a way that they find really fun. They find inspiring. And I like it when I'm training somebody to train their dog and they come see me a week or two later and they got this big ear to ear smile saying, Hey, look what I did. You didn't yeah, yeah. you know, tell me to do this, but I did it because I saw your dog do it or I saw somebody else's dog do it and I thought, yeah. I'll be damned if my dog's not going to do that. So I, I want to be around people that are passionate about what they do and I think that's super important in the world of dog training because there's so often a chasm between what we want the dog to do and how we kind of present that information. So I was a horrific student growing up. Uh, right. I, w- I was not a good student in the sense that I gave a damn, in the sense that I did my work, in the sense that I was committed to it. It was, you know, I ended up being good at, at answering multiple choice quizzes yeah. and tests. So I ended up passing the grades, but I was not an yeah. honor roll student because it just simply wasn't that interesting to me. My man with the bare minimum over here. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) You know, I did what I could to escape it and got away from it. But I I did the same. We we fist pounded for all all those listeners. Yeah. I was also a bare minimum type of student. Uh, I was less conscientious. Yeah, see? There you go. Yeah, but the te- I don't belong in the bro circle. I was- <laughs> <laughs> you get an you get an internet fist pound. <laughs> and, and, and I, beautiful. <laughs> and I don't think there's anything wrong with one way or the other. But me personally, I know that I connected with the teachers who were able to make me give a damn. They were able to get me somewhat interested in the topic. Versus, you know, I had a teacher. For, uh, you know, we call it social studies or like history or whatever, you know, and quite literally our entire class was this person just reading from a book 
word for word, yeah. and then she'd call on other students to read from the book. It was horrific. I couldn't <laughs> stand that class. I had a university lecturer who did the same. And it's like, like wow. yeah, I could have written, I could have read this book on my own. Thank you. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And yeah. so I, I do tend to find that I'm drawn towards people who are passionate in a way that almost infects you with their passion. Whether that's dog trainers or not, that's what I think is, is really cool. So when I see a guy like Francis Metcalf training a dog, that always makes me want to go train my dog. Yeah, yeah. When I see somebody like Mike Ellis or Forrest Mickey, uh, yeah. Bart Ballone... Yep. These people make me really excited to yep. go train my dog. And there's a million different trainers. I couldn't possibly name them all who, who inspire me regularly. But what I want is somebody who kind of lights a fire under my ass, who makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. That's what I like. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um yeah, that, that's all stuff that I kind of go, yeah, 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 me too, me too. Um, <laughs> one of my criteria is, um, is it beautiful? Is it beautiful? Like this, the idea of beauty meaning, like for me, is there flow mm -hmm. and is there feel and is there responsiveness as part of it? Does it look beautiful? Like if somebody said, you know, oh, they saw me do something with an animal and, wow, you had a beautiful feel. Or, wow, wasn't that leash handling beautiful? I would go, yes. <laughs> yes. Beauty. Because I think beauty brings together a whole bunch of those things. Because once it's like technical proficiency on its own is not beautiful. So beauty puts on all those other things that you were talking about, the level of artist, you know, you're taking it to the level of being art. There is a flow. There is... Um, it's not beautiful if it's not a partnership and there's not cooperation. So for me, like kind of this overall sense of beauty is my criteria. And, it, you know, at the beginning of a relationship with a dog, uh, it might not look beautiful. But, but if you can see that there's beauty in the steps and that it's working towards more harmony, that I really dig. <clears throat> and that's one of the things um, when Forrest first came to Australia – I looked at him and I went, that is beautiful dogmanship. You know, that is, there is a beauty in that. And that was one of the things that um, really stood out about his uh, dogmanship when I, when I watched him. And he wasn't, like when he was in Australia, I mean, he wasn't even working with his own dogs there. It was other people's dogs, but still it was evident. So, yeah. And I think my, <clears throat> one of the things that I look for is feel. Does someone have feel? And in the horse world, the, this idea of having feel is spoken about a lot more than I've ever heard it spoken about in the dog world. Does someone have feel with the animals? And so I kind of, there's a bunch of stuff that I kind of think about or do or instinctively do because of um, my background with horses that I think kind of transfers over into dogs. And I think just the awareness of feel and, and like literally in terms of, tactile like how what is the quality of your tactile interactions with a dog but just the kind of the expression of the whole relationship how much feel is there in that relationship and that's the stuff <clears throat> that I kind of value more than more than necessarily watching a dog that can do a bunch of tricks or has been taught you know a whole bunch of things it can do but what is the feel of the relationship with that dog? And, yeah, the, the thing of having fun, like watching a dog do something and, they're like, one of my biggest stories, like the dog does something and then they look at you and I go, look what you just did. Like, <laughs> yeah, look what I just did. And it's like, man, you rock. 
And they go, really? I rock? Yes, you rock. <laughs> that sort of stuff, like where you just kind of go, man, you're the best. And they're going, yeah, guess what? You're the best too. <laughs> like that sort of stuff. Like as you can hear, I just go a bit nuts over that stuff. No, nah, man, that's, no. that's exactly what I think all of us are striving for. And, you know, everybody's got their own picture of what that yeah. kind of beautiful partnership looks like. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's that's the stuff that that gets me fucking stoked. You know, like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm really excited when I see somebody work with a dog, and the dog is as passionate about the work as they are. And that's you know, you're talking about feel. I've honestly never heard anybody talk more about feel than Tyler. You know, he he yeah. that's something he's extraordinarily committed to developing is his own feel and I think better than anybody I know he has developed that in himself and he's kind of developed a way to convey that information to people who may not be good at dog training yeah so that's something that I've heard for years you know and, and he and I have talked about countless times but you know it, it is something that i am very very concerned with all the time and yeah. i think it's it is talked about a little bit more in some of the books i've read about horse training than dog training very much yeah. so and i don't know really what causes that but it's <laughs> I, yeah i thought <clears throat> i was thinking about that when you, when you started talking about feel um it's something i mention a lot to clients and the the question is, well, when should I? And I, the response I give is generally very, very detailed. But what it comes down to is I want to just tell them, you'll feel it. You'll know. You, you'll yeah. feel the right time. And I, feeling is something talked about amongst dog trainers, I think, versus talking to non-dog trainers who are receiving a trained dog, air quotes. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Trying to teach someone about leash handling while you know while I can convey about pressure release things like that it teaching someone to feel the dog is is something really really interesting and and to me when I was a teacher having a a student say wow I get it now was was the thing I lived for and now it's that that big goofy smile like hey dude come here and they're just the tongue is hanging out of the side of the mouth and they're, you know, that big goofy smile that you get. Like, that's the yeah. stuff I, I want to explain yep. to people. Like, that's that's the feel. Like, when you feel that and you see that, you're there. And you know what? I think um, sometimes too, sometimes things need to be mechanical before they can, before you find flow. Sometimes things, uh, depending on the individual dog or the individual person or whoever, Sometimes you have to go through the mechanics before you can get to flow. Like it has to be thought, you know, like the, that notion that, um, what is it, um, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, um, conscious competence, unconscious competence, moving from you don't know what you don't know to you do know what you don't know to you do know what you should know to instinctively being able to do the right thing in the right time so like you know it's, it's awkward and it's not beautiful in the first half of that progression but you find <laughs> your sure. way to beauty in the second half of that progression you know it's so I think I like that and you know when you're talking about the we talk about the joy and the fun and things like that I I want to get people 
um, and their dogs hooked on oxytocin. Like I want to create oxytocin junkies. Like my dog Slipstream, he's my oxytocin dealer like to the max. I can't like every day he deals me oxytocin because he's an excellent gaze sharing dog, you know, and he's he's brilliant for that. And I kind of think just like when you say, you know, someone comes and says, hey, look what I can now do with my dog. For me, it's like, yeah, yeah, I want to kind of, you know, like you, you can teach the, you know, the idea of focus. A dog will look at your eyes waiting for something or other. To me, as much as that's about um, a practical outcome of, you know, having engagement and attention allows you to then do things, it's that thing of every time they look, oh, we're just getting them a little bit more addicted to the oxytocin and that's <laughs> going to be great for both of them, you know? So it's that kind of thing of going, yep, I want, I'm a big drug dealer and it's the drug is <laughs> There's nothing so, wrong with that. There's no. nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. It's free. There's no harmful side effects. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, yeah, if I could get people hooked on oxytocin, I'd be happy. Well, I mean, I, I kind of look at it from the perspective that to a certain extent, that's kind of what my job is. And I, yep. I have sometimes people come in and they just want the, the problem fixed, you know, the proverbial just, just get it done type stuff. Yep. Whereas I've had to come up with some creative ways to explain to people the, the fact that what you're asking for is not fixing a broken piece of wood and just replacing it with a new one, there's things that have to be changed on both ends of the spectrum. I think it's super important to be able to do that. And I think ultimately that's, that's what I've come to really love about this, this career is not just the connections I make with dogs every day, but the connections I make with their owners and my ability to start them down a path towards thinking more, consciously about what they are doing to cause their dog's behavior to change. And those are some of the big things that I, I really dig about dog training. Yeah. I mean, I know some dogs, because you do the whole, like they say the whole thing like, oh, I love dogs. I just wish I didn't have to work with the people. And for me, it's like, if you don't love people as well as loving dogs, don't be a dog trainer. No. Because every dog pretty much you're going to deal with comes with at least one. If not <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so if you're a people hater, don't become a dog trainer because, you know, you're not going to be – because I don't think you can best serve the dog. If you're, if you're kind of there going, the dog's the one I'm in there batting for the whole time and, the, you know, the people are shitheads and they're the ones that have just got to come, you know, up their game and stuff like that. It's like, man, extend your empathy to, to the whole picture, which is the dog and the people that come attached to them. I mean, I probably – you know, I mean, I have done a lot of stuff with rescue and so I have the heart to advocate – for the dog who is the victim in a lot of, you know, situations. But at the same time, like, you know, if, if this dog isn't coming as this dog without people attached, you've got to deal with the people as well and find empathy and understanding for them in a way that, um, yeah, uh, gives them a bigger heart for their dog. And if, if that means if the first thing is let me show you how to make your dog not a pain in the ass, yeah. well, <laughs> they can, and, like, it's like let me show you how to do that and then they can start falling in love with their dog but they can't fall in love with their dog while they think their dog is a problem, you know? So I agree. So sometimes it's like you've got to be a little bit, um, give them a bit of what they want and then persuade them that they can be what their dog wants as well. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of times I, once people figure out I'm a dog trainer, like, oh, I love dogs. I, I like them more than people. You know, my, my first 
internal thought is like you'll you would make a shitty dog trainer <laughs> like, because you have to be able to connect with human beings in an authentic way you yeah. dog training is not paint by numbers there is no here's the steps you always follow to get a good result you have to be able to make a real honest to god connection with somebody to help them make a difference yep yeah absolutely um, and talking about people and the relationship with dogs, one of the things that I see in the dog training world that I feel sad about is when dog trainers are so busy calling people on their anthropomorphic misinterpretations of dogs that they kind of diminish dogs as well. And the and and this, I, I sort of have this idea that like some people seem to define anthropomorphism as um, anything that is the same, like anything that we we have um, in the emotional realm that dogs can't have, uh, uh, like uh, is not the same. And I kind of go, you know what, in the emotional subset of everything that is emotionally and cognitively possible for a human, everything that's emotionally and cognitively possible for a dog, I think that those two circles have a massive overlap. There's a massive subset that is common to us both. And I kind of, I totally understand that as dog trainers, we are constantly faced with people who are misinterpreting their dogs. Like, especially the whole, my dog must feel guilty because of they look like this. My dog is ashamed and therefore they feel justified in punishing a dog for something. And you go, hey, actually the dog's just appeasing you and we've got studies to show that no, that's not what's going on here. So I understand why dog trainers are always really going, ah, don't anthropomorphize your dog. But I think if it gets pushed too far, we end up diminishing what dogs are actually capable of and therefore not allowing dogs to be as refined and finessed and subtle in all the stuff that we do share with them. And I sometimes get a bit sad when I see I see the, um, the push towards don't anthropomorphize and then going, man, we're turning dogs into this really diminished kind of canid instead of um, this kind of really highly emotionally developed and intuitively developed in some cases creature. So yeah, any, any thoughts on that kind of stuff? I would have to agree with you. And I think anthropomorphizing dogs is a huge benefit in some cases in the yeah. context of trying to change the way people think about their interaction with a dog. There's a lot of times I will make any number of different analogies that, that anthropomorphize the crap out of a dog. But it helps yeah. get people to a point where they understand more clearly why they should be doing something or should not be doing something. And I, I understand in the purely behavioral science technical aspect that there's some things that as humans, we, we don't necessarily attribute to a dog's ability yet, and rightfully so in certain circumstances. But I think for what I do on a regular basis, it's far, it does far more good than harm. Yep. And I think that the average client who doesn't, read a bunch of books, who doesn't spend most of their waking hours thinking about their interaction with a dog, who doesn't go out of their way to find people who know more about the subject than they do purely out of enjoyment, not necessarily because their dog is destroying all their shit, 
is anthropomorphizing in a way that kind of blocks them from achieving all they could achieve. Whereas in other contexts, anthropomorphizing a dog can give such clear insight to somebody as to what they should or shouldn't be doing. I think it's a, it's a problem to throw that out. You know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I think, is, is really a problem. So I think that that's one of the big things in my world that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, oh, you shouldn't anthropomorphize. You know, like, well, well, why not? I'm not saying this is factually what the dog is thinking. But what I am trying to do is, is draw some parallels so people who aren't ingrained in the technical aspects of dog training can get on board and start changing the way they behave based on information that makes a hell of a lot more sense to them than all this technical jargon that is just more confusing than anything. Yep. I think it's it's the ability to give people a reason to empathize. And when you when you emph- when you emphasize what we share, the emotional realms and the cognitive realms that we share, you increase their ability to empathize with their dog, which gives them, I think, if you have empathy, potentially you have more patience, um, potentially you have more tenacity at wanting to find a good outcome. So anything that in- can increase empathy is a good thing for the dog. So long as you're just directing them in t- towards genuine empathy and not um, misconceptions, I-, I find it, I think it's valuable. I agree. Cool. I'm glad we agree. <laughs> I, I, I can't really add much to that. Uh, Josh sort of uh, spoke uh, a lot about it. Eloquently on the subject, he meant. Yeah, very eloquent. <laughs> but I, I did want to point out that um, when you get to hang out with Josh, the man has yeah. analogies for days. Now, I, when, when I start to use my own analogies, or, or I try to think up of my own, and my own analogies, and during lessons, most recently I came up with my own analogy, and I definitely yeah. gave myself like a little fist pump, like off to the side, I turned around and I was like, damn, that was fly. I was like, I gotta tell Tyler and Josh about this analogy. Shit, that was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, a good analogy, I think it's just it's just good communication, isn't it? A good analogy is just a good, effective communication. So, 100%. yeah, I find, I, I, you know, it's funny though, sometimes you start down a path with an analogy and you get to a point where you go, I better stop talking now because I'm going to stretch this analogy way too far. <laughs> Big time, any second now. So it's like, yep, yeah, I push this baby to the top of the hill. If I keep going, it's really rolling down the hill. <laughs> Oh, man. You just see that glazed over look like, what the hell is this guy talking about? It's <laughs> like, so, you know, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop now. I'm like, good job. Let's give the dog a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Very good. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, I, I haven't got a next question especially lined up. Have you got any more lined up? Good no. to go? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we've kind of like touched touched on a lot of interesting topics today at least i found them interesting and i hope other people do as well um i'm but, interested you know thanks for taking the time to uh thank you chat with us very and much mull over it's some fun. of the the finer details of what gets our our butts out of bed in the morning so uh 
Is there a way that you'd like to have people be able to kind of look into what Melanie Sweeney does down under? Is there like a, a website? I don't think you said he had that up. Um, no, so being involved in rescue means that often the tyranny of the urgent kind of comes ahead of the like there's this, you know, to-do list. Sure. And you've got this really reasonable to-do list of like get the website sorted out, you know, write the content for the website, get the blah, 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 and then all these other things just keep jumping to the top of the list because they're more urgent. So so hopefully a website will be coming in the coming year. Um, so at the moment, no, I've got I've got my domain name all nicely saved and tucked away. Perfect. But, um, but there is there is no content there yet. Part of what I do is uh, as a writer is, you know, I like to write. And so basically I've just got to go, I, I, I don't want to do that thing where, you know, you go, hey, here's my website and there's a lot of please come back soon, you know, this yeah. page will be soon. It's like, you know what, I'd rather wait another nine or ten months and then when it launches it's like, hey, that looks good, not not like, you know, hey, that's the bare bones and nothing right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so no, at the moment there's not um, – no direct ways, but there will be in the future. So um, barkingdog.com.au, B-A-C-H-I-N-G-D-O-G.com.au. At some point in the future will be, ta-da, here I am. Perfect. Excellent. Perfect. Well, uh, you know, that's pretty much it for Philosophers and Mad Men uh, this episode. We'll be coming at you guys with uh, hopefully some more interesting topics on whatever it is that gets us interested about uh, any number of things from dog training like we said we're, we're interested in a lot of different things but um, it's been super rad having you on here getting to pick your brain and kind of hear what some of your thoughts are on the on life in general so thanks a ton for uh, spending the time and I'll let you get back to the rest of your day our day is winding down over here yeah. and you guys are uh, just getting rocking and rolling all right, thanks so much. I've had a blast. It's really, really cool. And I look forward to meeting you in person in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I look forward to it, too. It'll be awesome. Yep, thanks, Melanie. Cool. All righty. Take care, guys. See Have you, Mel. Night. See ya.